Sales development continues to grow in importance as a critical component of a successful go-to-market strategy. And with the explosion of new tools, technology, and processes, the sales development industry itself is thriving, as seen with the growth of the 10-bound sales development market map over at 10bound.com. On this podcast, we'll dive deep and go beyond sales development to think about the future of technology, processes, and tools in the industry with our host, noted futurist, author, and sales development practitioner, Justin Michael. Welcome to Beyond Sales Development. Tune in each week and be sure to hit subscribe, leave a comment, and turn on notifications to never miss an episode. And now, Beyond Sales Development with your host, Justin Michael. Welcome back to Beyond Sales Development. I'm here with the one and only Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. A, I believe SVP of strategy, if I got the title right. <laughs> did. I don't know if anyone's ever called me the one and only, but I do like that. There is actually one other, I, I have Googled this. We all have, I guess, but there is one other Jeremy Donovan on the planet. He has, I have an unusual spelling in my first name and he has the same spelling. He is an Aboriginal didgeridoo player and I think like a professional keynote speaker. So not to be confused. Well, I have to admit my didgeridoo skills are lacking. I can, my circular breathing is not quite there. Well, we're talking about the future of sales development, and you're someone that I quote on a daily basis. And that's why I would say the incomparable. I, I read your book, and I was really stunned. I heard this legend that you once wrote a sequence for a sequencer for a cadence. Got to get the nomenclature right. That was based on the golden mean, like the Fibonacci series. <laughs> is that yeah, true? It is true, although I, 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 and it's almost Fibonacci, but I, I give, have to always give credit where credit is due. And if you're, if you, as you said, if you're reading my post, you know that I just kind of steal 99% of what I put out there, but with, with source attribution. So in this case, two, two sources to attribute. One was our data science team who looked at, I think something like 200 million emails and looked at what's the optimal amount of separation between touches. And that Fibonacci-esque sequence is, I, I refer to it as this plus one rule is you do touches on day one, add a day, so day two, add two days, day four, add three days, day seven, add four days, day 11, add five days, day 16. So that plus one, plus two, plus three, plus four, plus five is actually relatively ideal way to build a to build a cadence. And you can have multiple touches on each of those days. In fact, I probably would recommend that you have a couple of touches, like two touches, pairs of touches, phone and email, or two phone calls. Not two emails, please, on one day. Like on the receiving end, that would drive me crazy. I love it. So in the course of coming out of nowhere, I have part of why I did it is I realized that there was, you know, 600,000 SDRs is going to jump to 2 million. For some reason, they're going to pour billions of dollars into outside sales, B2B tech, somewhere like they did the inbound. And then I kind of realized it was really hard to find the 202. Like there's a lot of like SDR for dummy stuff. But then once you got through that, the only way to find it was like private Slack channels, micro communities, following people like Jeremy Donovan, certain chapters and certain books. And like there's great info out there to get it all set up and started. But I was looking for practitioners that could give me a data driven approach and maybe go a little deeper. And so I love just like starting off the episode going deep into that. I remember, you know, just looking at geometry and math. I think it was an exercise in fourth grade where we had to lay out city grids with pins, but do it on the Fibonacci layout. I was just like an elegant model and I have sunflowers in my yard. And when I look at them, I, I think of Fibonacci, and I like think of Jeremy Donovan. So I just think the way that you're curating the insight and taking it to the 202 level 
was really helpful for all of us figuring out how to get a meeting. So what are you most passionate about with your research now? Because you've contributed so much to this emerging space. Where's your focus these days? I mean, some thank you for that, by the way. And and as I said, I steal liberally. I, I have sources I go to. I certainly am following you now religiously. Thanks. I've also <laughs> long followed Trish Bertuzzi over at the Bridge Group, who I, does just incredible work. I've been following Craig Rosenberg and Christina McMillan and others over at Topo. So I think they do amazing work. And I'm sure there's like scores of people that I'm I'm following that I'm that I'm leaving out. So I'm always learning from from those folks as well. You know, for my own research into what's working, what's not working, I've definitely been hyper focused on just sort of the really micro slicing of of emails, what works in subject lines, what works in bodies, what works in signatures, what works in whatever. Oh, I should add like more people I follow, which which is where I was going. Beck Holland from Chorus, great stuff. And then anything Gong produces, formerly Chris Orlaw, but he moved into a sales role. So now it's it's other people who followed in his footsteps. So yeah, like I'll take one that was a, a recent Gong one that I thought was super, super interesting, which was they looked at how should you do a call to action? Should you say, hey, are you free next Tuesday at two? Or what time it would be good for you? So like one's a specific time and day. One's, one's a little bit sort of in the middle of like still asking for time, but not being specific. And then one is they called open-ended, which is, are you just interested in chatting more about this? And I think they found, I can't remember, it was 3x or 4x higher response rate when you just left it open-ended and said, are you interested in talking more? So like I, I would say both my you know, sort of research comes in two ways, primary research and secondary research. The, the secondary research is looking at other people's stuff and stealing those great best practices, again, with, with attribution. On the primary side, yeah, it is like, uh, as I said, what subject lines and so on are working. The most recent thing I did, though, I'm droning on a little bit, is, is you know, we are in a, in a historic time in many ways. And one of the things I wanted to look at was what do response rates look like depending on the implied ethnicity of the sender, right? So, the, the, if, if you look at, you know, we look at 10 million emails, for example, and the, whatever the copy is, is all going to wash out. But the, if we, the only thing that we classified as different using U.S. Census data was whether or not a name was stereotypically white, black, Hispanic, Native American, Asian. And we looked at what the response rates to those were. So I think, you know, part of what I'm on a crusade right now to do is like to do my small part, which is to educate the world that, when people with per the census, quote unquote, stereotypically African-American black names send prospecting emails, they're 14% less likely to get a reply. And I don't think it's that the buyers, I mean, I'll give the buyers the benefit of the doubt. I don't think it's that the buyers are are like explicitly biased, but I uh, it is proof, I think, that they are at the very least implicitly biased. So, you know, my my crusade is to just say, hey, you know, you are now a buyer or will be a buyer of B2B tech or B2B services. Make sure that you go and do Harvard's implicit bias test just to understand your own thing so that we don't contribute to, you know, the disadvantage that we put black sellers at from day one. Yeah, I, I think that's wonderful and honored to hear that. I, um, I have some mastermind groups that I host and I have a Patreon now. And I could only hope I could reach like Kevin Dorsey and Scott Lee's level or, or David Gerhardt, right? Someone that I brought into my mastermind group is Nikki Ivey. And she's been really educating our mastermind on diversity and inclusion and best practices with the goal. And Rev Genius is another community that 
has a mission to bring students and diverse backgrounds. And, you know, anytime I hear I can't afford that, that's where I swoop in and just try to help, whether it's on modern sales pros or someone's just reaching out. I just try to do a ton of pro bono work to help people get a leg up and companies are changing like the college restriction and it's just great that you're doing your part there so thanks for definitely raising that point we could do a whole show on just this topic so i do want to like stop the presses and agree and thank you (laughs) yeah i would feel bad if like two obviously white dudes uh were did a whole show on this we would we'd have the wrong mix for the show but at least we can we could raise a little bit of awareness on revenue genius by the way revenue genius came out of came out of nowhere and has taken over taken over taken over the world it's amazing it's been a, a wild ride. I was asked to advise on that and it just seemed like a big party. And I did think so. It leads me to the next question. So I worked for LinkedIn, full disclosure, and we really had this mission to map out the total economic graph. And that didn't mean LinkedIn's going to rule the world. It meant to match all the talent and opportunity and just unlock potential and do this matchmaking. And it's this beautiful altru- altruistic mission. And it was started by Hoffman and you know, true blue, he believes in that. So does uh, Jeffrey Warner and everyone I worked with. So amazing culture can't rave enough. What I've noticed now is that the economic graph, which was all LinkedIn, and then the interest graph was supposed to be Facebook. I call it the great mulleting of LinkedIn. And the whole TikTok thing, like in the whole Rev Genius, basically LinkedIn deprecated groups. It's still there. It's mm-hmm. just if you post in it, it doesn't get in the algorithm for the feed. So people are just like going back and forth in these micro communities and they're the engagement is is wild. What are your thoughts on all of that? I, I <laughs> you can just talk big, about. <laughs> yeah, it's a big question. I'm. I mean, first of all, right. I I love to learn in this way exactly what we're doing right now, which is just having conversations with birds of a feather. And you know, back I have been a very active contributor, off and on, just depending on how busy I am on modern sales pros, which I think is hugely valuable. I used to be on LinkedIn groups pretty avidly. And found that unless they were moderated very, very, very strictly, which is the same as modern sales pros, by the way, I think that's why it works, is like unless they're moderated very, very carefully, then they just become basically blog and self-promotional dumping grounds. So, I mean, at, at a high level, yeah, I would hope LinkedIn could, you know, somehow solve solve the issue and, you know, even potentially bring people back on to the platform for that purpose. I don't know if it has big enough scale for them. So it has opened up this incredible opportunity for people and then bring Slack in, right? Which is just where people, you know, I I don't know about you, but I've got like, when I'm not talking to somebody, I've got my left side of my screen is my email and my right side of my screen is Slack, right? So I think that's sort of the way a lot of people work. So a Slack channel does seem to be the main way that people are doing it. My my one, you know, my, if I have an ad here, that's not as obvious as just repeating what is happening right now, it's... One of the companies I worked for was in the business of one-to-one matching. So I, I think that's one piece that is missing out of the community thing right now is is like a little more value in one-to-one matching. There's something called lunchclub.ai that like randomly matches you with people, but it's not they're not really birds of a feather. I did a few a few lunchclub.ai meetings and I talked to some fascinating people, but like I just want to talk to sales. I'm boring, I guess. I just want to talk to salespeople. So it wasn't, I sort of lost interest quickly. But if it were salespeople, I'd probably do it every week. Well, I love the Fight Club model of business, which is like the first rule, right? So I'll, but I'll spill it here. I have a private WhatsApp group that's sort of self-organized because basically I've worked for two companies out of Tel Aviv 
And I'll be like working in a company, we have Slack, but the entire company is being run out of WhatsApp. That's like 20 million users in the US, but it's bomb proof. I could be like at the beach with like one bar, but my WhatsApp's working, my Slack's totally down. Huh. But it's like this weird tech. I don't know why the code is different, but it's like perfectly real time. Now, the problem with it is the reason that you're not in the group immediately is if you go away for like two hours, there'll be a thousand messages. <laughs> We're actually trying to build tech now to parse the WhatsApp. It's like, it's a big mess and it's exciting, but it's also this, I'm getting to a good point. How do you deal with context switching? Like someone like you in a research and advisory position, how do you balance your time to like execute and be the executive, but then also be like a social media thought leader and to kind of like make it all work? It's just a lot, yeah, I think a lot like of people I, are wondering. I appreciate the, the description. I don't know that I am making it all work, but a, a couple of thoughts on that. One is I do think it's a muscle that is trained over time. So, right, I'm, I'll be 47 this month. So I've got you know the advantage of of 26 years of context switching under my belt, and you know in, in some instances jobs where I had meetings. This is actually one of the reasons I left big big corporate into go to small companies is I had times where I had you know 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. back to back to back to back meetings, and all you can do is like sit in the meetings and and you know make some decisions and guide some projects and sort of move on and like back to back you're constantly context switching so early on i don't think that was easy but i think you build i think you build the the muscle memory and then on the other piece that you asked about like where do i find the time i'm a huge well first of all i'm a i'm a monster reader and uh, i have a few favorite authors one of my favorite authors and i'll read almost everything he produces is cal newport and he wrote a great book called deep work that I would recommend. And another great book called So Good They Can't Ignore You. And one of the sort of things about deep work is, yeah, is like focus, like focus time and turning off distractions. So my my number one, and I, I won't call it it's advice because to each their own, but my number one uh, superpower for getting time back is I don't watch television. Like, but I don't, but part of it is I don't have an interest, right? Like no Netflix. When I say TV, I mean Netflix. Like I just, I have no interest and every once in a while, my wife or my kids will try to get me into a Netflix show and I'll watch one or two episodes. And I just, I don't, you know, I just don't get hooked. It's just not for me. I don't like that episodic television movies is a different thing. And, but now that we can't go to movies, none of that's not even taken, you know, taken any of my time. Yeah. So I'm going to, I think this is awesome advice. I want to check out deep work. I haven't read it, so I will. I wanted to double back on TikTok. And maybe you can't comment, but do you think if Microsoft, LinkedIn, and TikTok, or Twitter and TikTok, do you think sending TikToks to people will work? I mean, there's all sorts of weird stuff you can now send from the influencer space to kind of like warm it up and to be novel. Does the novelty wear off? Is it really like a false positive to start to put B2C interest graph functionality and pump that into social networks, right? I always joke about the LinkedIn button. It was a like button and I have like support and the air, like, you know, or Zoom has only two emojis. It has two yellow emojis. There's 3,000 emojis in Unicode, and there's many skin tones. But <laughs> how far B2C will the B2B world go? Is this going to just be like a total mashup? Or would it alienate executives who feel that it's, right, we want to keep the B2B focus and keep it a little more conservative? And about, I'm just so curious your views of that. Probably going to have to turn it around on you. And again, it's it's my age, which is I'm not on TikTok. The only thing I know about TikTok is now mostly either things my kids will show me, funny videos, or I've noticed more TikTok videos being posted on LinkedIn 
Cause that is like, that's my network of, that's my social network of choice. I'm not on, that's, I guess, another time management thing, right? Is I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on Instagram. I'm not on Pinterest. I'm not on TikTok. I'm not on WhatsApp. Like I can list them off. I kind of know what they are, but then there are new ones I don't know. But yeah, LinkedIn is, is like the only place I go. I, I could answer for me if somebody, I don't know, you tell me, like, how would someone even send me, this is how naive I am. How would someone send me a TikTok video? Well, ultimately, I think they would make a TikTok video and then maybe put it up on YouTube and then send it. I mean, the theory from the tech perspective is you could just have a button similar to like any chat app where you can send emojis or on iPhone, you could do Memoji like that. There's there's already a snap filter that can run in Zoom right now and totally, you know, cover my face with cartoons or give me these weird emojis. And it's, it's kind of fun, kind of like they're doing in the background. So you could send it and embed it. I'm fascinated by this because I really want to stand out. Gosh, I have so many ways to go in the conversation. One, I love your research focus because I was actually trained at Salesforce by Todd Capone. I went Transparency through, sale, another yeah, great book. Yeah, I went through a deep boot camp with him 10 years ago. Maybe it was less than that. Maybe it was eight or nine years ago. But I was so rooting for him when his book came out. So writers are readers. So you're a prolific writer and you do that by being a reader and you sacrifice maybe some pop culture stuff to be able to do it. And you have interest in that. How many books have you written? I have now written, I, I, like, I sh- it just sounds silly for me not to know, but it's five or six. The yeah. reason I say that is I think two of them were kind of similar. You just mentioned this, like, you got to be a reader to be a writer. That was something my wife told me years ago, as I said, like, I, I said, I had this interest in expressing myself through writing. And at that time, I was, I was, and I wanted to write, I, I said to her, I wanted to write fiction. And she observed that I was not at that time reading much fiction. And she said, like, please, please don't poison the world with your garbage. Uh, she loves me and she supports me, but she just said, look, if you haven't been reading fiction, enough fiction, you're not going to be able to pull it off. So I switched gears and I, I decided to, to write nonfiction. And there's these, there's used to be this site called Zeitgeist or something like zeitgeist.com. I don't think it exists anymore. It was many years ago, but what it did was it collected everybody's wishes of things that they, they would accomplish in their life. And in the top 10 were things like learn a foreign language, travel to whatever, Asia or Europe or where have you. And one of them is write a, you know, was write, get married, I guess, have children, write these like long-term life goals. And one of them was write a book. And, you know, having, having now written a couple of them, I will tell you it's, it's really hard every time, really, really hard. And you should write them if you decide to do it, like just do it, block out time, just time blocking, just like you would for sales calling and prospecting. And just every single time, sit down for that time block. And even if five words come out, let five words come out. If 500 words come out, let 500 words come out and write for you. Like don't, so often I I interact with people who are writing their first book and they're, they have these dreams of, I don't know, Tim Ferriss dumb or something like that, where they write this one, one amazing book and and then they, you know, they never have to work again because all the royalties and speaking fees and podcasts, whatever that come in. But that's, you know, you're looking at, at the, you know, the top 1% of 1% of 1%, whatever it is. It's just a very rare thing. So write for you, which is, which is what I do. I write in order to synthesize what I'm learning. And if I'm, especially if I'm struggling with, with grasping a, a new field, a new area, then I, I write in order to make it gel for me. So I write for me, not, I mean, it sounds selfish, but I write for me, me and not for others. I can so relate. I, I would need hundreds of hours to do. I mean, we still have a little bit of time. So 
to segue from that, that's really helpful. I've encouraging people constantly like write a book, but I also say it is brutally hard. I mean, once you're past the first hundred hours, it's that edit phase where you're going to put another 20 or 50 in the edit. It's good to have a co-writer. <laughs> I noticed. Is, T- uh, is TQ on Amazon yet? or, or can- No. So I got it put on Harper Collins and they have like a year delay. So I think it pre-orders October and it comes out. And so I did this weird thing where I just created a Google doc and brought a thousand people into it. And you were so encouraging and I'm so grateful for that. And Kyle Porter as well and helping educate me that, Hey, sequence is just one word. There's also cadences and flows and plays. I'm like, wait, there's 75 companies doing this. I thought it was just sales loft and outreach. Like what, what Zant, what's groove, what, you know, what's uh, Apollo or persist IQ. And I just went down this rabbit hole and it's like, there's a there, there, this is like wild, like a lot of money and people who are smart are trying to do this. And so I'm curious, do you think SDR will, we've talked about this uh, personally on the uncanny Valley. Do you think we could ever have full AI? (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's funny is I got super curious about that and I Googled this new AI open source library. I think it's called GPT-3, where they've taken basically the whole of the internet, every book ever written on and on and on and trained this algorithm, this AI algorithm. And when I Googled that, I found this this guy who is an expert on it. And I actually interviewed him for, you know, for my podcast for Hey Salespeople just yesterday and asked him that question. And his thinking was... You know, there are elements of it that I think the AI, you know, it, it is helpful for, right? Is what it, think about the processes that SDRs go through. And he's like, he's, he ran an 80 person company, so he also was selling plenty. One is you have to identify the accounts. An AI can probably do that better than humans. And I know that because we built our own account scoring and prioritization algorithms. So, and they, they kick the pants of, you know, of the, salespeople or sales ops people who try to do that on their own. So the AI mm-hmm. can do that. Find the people, the AI can do that, right? Because they're going to look at, at you know personas and profiles and whatever. They can crunch that way faster. Load up a contextual cadence that, and, and that, but here's where the AI is not, here's where then you got to hand off, right? The AI can probably even take care of some of the emails, but I think there's two critical things. One is personalization that we are not at the, we, we, in general, people can detect what a machine did and what a human did. And that gets at the uncanny valley thing about like, also, when do you, when do you cross the uncanny valley into the point where you can't recognize? We're not at the point where a traditional AI can, you know, read TQ, your, you know, your book, and then extract something from page, you know, 138 that is perfectly contextually relevant. That, that day may come. But that's something that that like the human still needs to do to do like that kind of authentic personalization. So I think that's one piece of it is where where personalization is necessary, often in the first email, of course, but but otherwise. And then the other thing is obviously once you jump out of email and potentially even social into calling where a lot of conversion happens, you know, the I guess you can have I mean, there's Alexa and and Siri. And one of the things the AI research guy was was telling me was there's a reason why you don't see why Google and Amazon have not personified their AIs because people don't like that. They've, they've done research and people don't like to see AIs personified. So I, I think that kind of gets that when we start calling, people don't want to interact with a robot yet. Maybe they will someday. And, and, and there are contexts where maybe you do, but not in B2B sales. It just takes me to Clippy. 
right? That he, he brought up Clippy actually as as actually one of the failures, right? As there's you try to personify the AI about Clippy, it's just this little clip, but it jumps up, and there's just something about it that is. I can't really figure it out. And then it's also the movie Her is kind of sad. Yes. Because it's like it's this AI, but it's not there. And you, there's something human about wanting to know it to be human. And there's also the sadness to Blade Runner and the Nexus 7 replicants. And they're trying to escape because they've become sentient and they don't realize it. So that's very interesting because I did notice Outreach released K, uh, K-A-I-A, Kaya. And I was like Googling all these Hawaiian words to try to turn it into a human. And I was like, oh, it's knowledge assistant. And I'm looking to you. I don't know what the roadmap is at uh, Sales Lab. Is there anything you can talk about on this subject, or is it uh, under wraps? Uh, yeah, it's mostly it's. I mean, it's under wraps. We there are different philosophies of different companies. I worked for very early on in my career. I worked for a company that had a, a, everyone as a direct competitor. The company I worked for was called Xilinx, and our direct competitor was Altera. And this is you know 26 years ago. And the company I worked for had this philosophy of never talking about anything pre-release. And Altera like did talked about everything pre-release, and I think it's the same with you know Salesloft and, and our primary competitor. I just can't say their name because I have to put money in a jar every time I do it. Yeah. But you know, like we tend to we tend to not release stuff until it's like you know we'll do beta, but we don't talk about it during beta, and then then when we talk, then we'll talk about it when it's like it's robust. So it's not I'm not trying to throw shade on on the competition. It's really like yes, there's there is stuff coming, and it's what you expect, right? It's it's all around dynamic cadences. It's all around recommending. You know, we know a lot about what words work and what types of cadence designs work. So it's all about recommending best practices based on on those sorts of things. I love that. That's helpful. There's people watching this space really carefully that listen to this. You know, maybe in closing, it might be cool to say, how would you approach Jeremy Donovan? Right. And this is a, in a full humble way. It's just like you get so much outreach all the time. Can you think of something that stood out to you? It doesn't have to be whiz bang AI. It might have just been thoughtfulness. What what gets you interested to actually take a meeting right now? <laughs> I think it's I, I think it's too. You think about a two by two. Right. I think this is true for any any prospect is there's like, am I is this something I'm in the market for? Yes or no. And then the other dimension is how tactful was the engagement? And you could be in any one of the the boxes there. I, I think, you know, if I'm not interested in the engagement is not tactful, right? So right now, there was, I saw someone posted on this on LinkedIn, just franchise sales consultants or something. They come out of the woodwork. I never got anyone reaching out to me to like sell me a franchise before. And now like nine out of 10 LinkedIn connections are basically franchise consultants. I don't, I don't quite understand how this happened, but it, it it has happened recently, which is driving me bonkers, right? And and it's all impersonal and and so on. So like that's an example of not interested and and really like tactless engagement. At the other end of the spectrum, there's a forecasting software company called, I think they're called Cluster with a K, K-L-U-S-T-E-R. Rory, he's like, I'm sure founder, head of sales and whatever. And like he he reached out to me, whatever this was a year ago when when I was really deeply thinking about forecasting, and he reached out to me in a highly personalized, in a highly personalized way. So that's the other end of the of the spectrum. Like those are the easy ones. I think the corners are are a little difficult. Which is, I'm not interested. I don't think I'm interested, or I'm not interested. But you highly personalized, right? I got one of those this week where they, you know, they referenced one of my books, or they referenced well, that actually was what it was. But they could reference my love of cats. I've got one 
sleeping just off to my left. I got two others pawn pawn underneath the door. You know, like they could reference kind of any of those things. And so in this case, they referenced, you know, the book and, and it was so nicely personalized, but they, what they were selling, and I can't even remember what it was, was something I'm not interested in right now. So I, that one, like I did respond to, I said, Hey, you know, I'm not going to take a demo. I'm not a fit. I'm not an opportunity. Like, please don't, you know, think, think I've opened the door here. I just wanted to acknowledge the time that you spent personalizing that and, and like, keep it up because if I were interested, then, then we would engage. So, so that, that's sort of that case. And then the other case is like, I'm interested, but it's not personalized. And that's a fascinating one, which is I'm probably going to respond to that, right? So what, at that moment, I was really interested in forecasting. If you hit me at that moment, even with a, a message around forecasting, I was probably going to take the meeting. The only, the only thing you could do to hurt yourself in that instance is to do something that, was, that looked like a marketing email. Like just please, please, please use plain text. Keep it short, short and sweet. We know that if you exceed 100, 100 characters, sorry, 100 words in an email, 100 words, I apologize, in an email, then the response rate drops off dramatically. So like stay in that 50 to 100 word sweet spot. So great connecting with you. I, I believe I'm a gut reader and uh, because I met 50,000 people, that's another story. But I do believe that you'll do 10 or 20 books in your lifetime. And I do believe that you'll do fiction. Now, if William Shatner can write Tech Lord and do his own science fiction stories, which fans like me have read, I have read William Shatner's books and they're good. I just think I'm not trying to disagree with your wife. I'm just saying you are a talented person and I love the background and the research and you take the time. You take the time where others don't. And I think people love you for that. I'm excited to see what you'll do next and what sales will do next and uh how can people find you or the projects that you know yeah and i want I to mean, credit the, your co-author on leading sales development because i always miss that i got the name right in the book <laughs> yeah yeah so uh, the amazing and incomparable Aliyah hamasen who i worked with in the past and you know is is really the brains behind that book i just i there's a couple authors that i've helped them birth onto onto pages Aliyah's is one of them and mary lou tyler is another one, uh, both incredibly brilliant. But yeah, to get in touch with me, LinkedIn is always the best thing. I, I actually, if you send me a truly personalized like invite, I I will res- and with a question in there, I'll respond to ninety nine point nine percent of those. Like I'm, I, it's an addiction for me to 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 you know be compassionate in that way. So and even if not, if you're a real human being and not a franchise. <laughs> and not a You're franchise. Not to open a Whataburger like next I, week. <laughs> exactly. Then I will. I will accept your connection gladly, and and hopefully be can be of service to you in the future. You got it. Well, thanks, Jeremy, for being on the show, and we'll see you on the next. Uh, I'm sure you'll be back on. <laughs> and I appreciate awesome. your time awesome. today. Thanks again, Jeremy.